Your ears do not deceive you. You've just entered the Cryptid Creator Corner brought to you by your friends at Comic Book Yeti. So without further ado, let's get on to the interview. Hello and welcome to another episode of Comic Book Yeti's Cryptid Creator Corner. I'm one of your hosts, Jimmy Gasparro, and I have not one but two creators on the program today. And we are here to talk about uh, Maverick Imprint's Paper Planes. Maverick is an imprint of Mad Cave Studios. This is a, a YA graphic novel. Absolutely wonderful story. And uh, I'm going to let the two creators talk about it. But uh, And uh, I think we're going to have a pretty wide-ranging discussion today. Uh, there's so much to talk about. And I, 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 first and foremost, though, I absolutely, absolutely, absolutely loved this story. It was so delightful, complex at times, a lot of big emotions, and I, I can't wait to talk about it. But please welcome to the podcast, Jenny Wood and Dozer Draws. Uh, welcome, uh, both of you. Thank you for being on today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> So I kind of want to get like right into it in terms of, you know, paper planes. And I don't know if one of you wants to kind of take the rowing or of, can you tell the, the listeners a little bit about what the story is about? Um, the story is about uh, two friends, uh, Dylan and Layton, and they've been friends since grade school. Um, there's an incident that they're involved in that gets them sent to a summer camp for troubled youth. And the story, the bulk of the story takes place during that summer as they come to terms with what got them there, where their friendship is, the future of their friendship. And then you see in flashback uh, their friendship over the years and the incident that got them sent to the camp. And so, um, you know, did the two of you connect specifically for this story and kind of how did both of you, you end up collaborating on it. And then I, I was curious how it ended up with, uh, with Maverick. So um, I'll start because I was approached by um, Erica Schultz, who is a, a phenomenal writer in her own right, writes for Marvel and image. Um, but she also edits for Mad Cave and she and I are, have been friends for a long time. Um, and she was given a pitch by Mad Cave for the Maverick imprint that it was the gist of it was, you know, two longtime friends get in trouble, get sent to a camp. There was no more specifics than that. Um, and she thought of me um, for it and reached out to me and asked if I would be interested in it. And she actually didn't know that right soon, a, a few weeks before she approached me, a grade school friend of mine had passed away. And oh, that's wow. taken me down this rabbit hole of how grade school friends leave their mark on us, whether we stay in touch with them or not, because it's when we were friends with them, we, we were molding, like being shaped into who we become. And I, had, I went down this rabbit hole of rewatching Stand By Me and, and reading The Body and just really thinking about um, the the mark that grade school friends leave on us when I got this pitch. And I was like, I totally want to do this. This is where my heart, my brain, my soul is right now. Um, so I said yes and um, wrote, developed the characters and outline. And I believe, Dozer, this is right around the time when you come in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Erica reached out to me too and uh, sent me the uh, the outline of the story and uh, the character descriptions you had uh, worked on. And um, when I read those, I was already sold. I read about <laughs> non-binary and asexual characters, and I was like, okay, yeah, I really want to do this. I wanna, I want people to see them to to read the story too. Yeah, I mean, it's not just the uh, Leighton and Dylan aren't just dealing with the aspects of like like their friendship and their friendship at the time and the inciting incident and how that affects their friendship over that summer. They're also dealing with issues of their identity, their sexuality in terms of like Dylan as non-binary and uh, Dozer, you just mentioned, uh, Leighton talks about being asexual not specifically in the beginning, but kind of coming to terms with like who they are as, as people. Um, they're, 
you know, they're they're kind of dealing with with all of those. I, I say like like big feelings. Like I have two girls that are like mm-hmm. ten and six, and when we talk about things and we we talk about you know a lot of stuff. Um, and it fascinating to hear my my ten year old explain different gender identities to my sixty six year old mother. But you know what? She did a nice job. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we talk about these things, you know, conversations. I mean, I'm forty four. I never had as a kid, you know, as a as a teenager even. Um. And, but they're dealing with all of these aspects of it. They're dealing with their friendship. Uh, it, it's, I, I, I just absolutely like. I was in tears by the end of it. I don't want to talk about the end. I want folks to discover it. There are flashbacks that that build and build. Um, but yeah, it's just such a beautiful story. I'm going to say that a million times. So listeners, I apologize. Just you're going to have to deal with me. I'm going to say it a lot because I really love this, and it hit right. It was perfect to read on a rainy Sunday morning in uh, Wilmington, Delaware. <laughs> um, Dozer, I wanted to ask, because you've uh, done work with Mad Cave or Maverick before. You were the artist mm-hmm. on the last session. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Okay. Um, and I, I just, I love your artistic style. And uh, I, I love the last session as well. And in terms of this, uh, there, did you... Uh, in terms of the, the the design of the characters, Dylan in particular, Leighton, and you know, um, I'll mention Cricket a little later, but some of the other kids at the camp. What were the conversations like between the two of you to kind of develop? Like, what what's everybody going to look like? Um, at first, I was pretty free to design um, the characters how I wanted, but I really wanted to get Jenny's idea of them across. So. I asked them for references or just anything they had on mind while uh, coming up with the outline and the characters. And that was so helpful to bring their characters to life. I just, I, I love collaborating with author, uh, authors and um, yeah, just make the characters look like they envisioned them. But uh, yeah, for, for the other characters, for uh, the other kids at camp, I could just go wild. I could <laughs> design everyone uh, like I wanted, and it, it just was so fun. And Jenny, along those lines, was there anyone in particular in terms of the characters that you had, you know, specifics in terms of that, you know, uh, in terms of the design, or you just wanted very diverse characters, kids to look like kids nowadays? Was there anything in particular in terms of what went into, you know, the kids at the camp? Um, really for the kids at the camp, the, the importance was a a diverse group of people so that, um, kids today can, can open the book and, and see themselves or someone who reminds them of themselves a little bit, or if not themselves, a friend, it's very important for Maverick, um, and Mad Cave to, for people to see themselves inside these pages. Like that's, that's, uh, an important thing for them. And it's an important thing for us. And Dozer did such a great job of making all the kids at the camp, uh, real, feel like real characters and feel so accessible. Like, you, you know, I look at it and, and see people that, that I know, or I knew in grade school, you know, that reminds me of, of, of actual real people, kids. Um, and then with the lead characters, I do, do an in-depth bio before I do any other writing. Oh, okay. So like what their favorite t-shirt is, what their favorite TV show is, that what's in their fridge, um, favorite, yeah, article of clothing and, and just on and on. And then as I'm doing that, usually, um, you know, someone I know comes to mind or someone I used to know or an actor, um, you know, for Dylan, um, as I'm fleshing them out, I thought of um, a very young Kristen Stewart in the film Panic Room. She plays Jodie Foster's like six year old daughter. And I sure. think those are those were in the photographs I sent you. Yeah. Um, and then with Leighton, um, I thought of a, uh, a pro tennis player at a, at a younger age just starting out. So I had that image in mind and shared those images with, with Dozer and you know, the whole time, like, here's what I had in mind, run with it, right? Like, because, you know, it's very important to me. Comics is an artist medium and 
a visual medium. And so it's always important that the artist can take whatever is in that script and just run with it. Uh, yeah, and I I loved all, all the characters, uh, especially at, at the camp. Um, one of the things I thought about just in terms of the, uh, you know, the not really the plot, but some of the things like at the camp in terms of the different like camp activities, um, you know, well, was any of that, did either of you ever, I know this is like the, the a, a particular type of camp, but um, some of the activities that they had them do were very interesting to kind of bring out, you know, the plot details of the story or something that they were dealing with or would lead to kind of like an important flashback. Um, was that kind of difficult to come up with Jenny in terms of like how to get in that? Or once you realize it was set at a camp, you're like, Oh, I can kind of use this device to get to kind of like the emotional core of the story. Yeah, it wasn't difficult. It, you know, it would come in the moment. So it wasn't in the outline, but I would be scripting and I'd be thinking about, um, you know, where the characters needed to go in each chapter and the flashbacks we'd want to show. And then an activity would just come out of that, uh, you know, because there's so many activities to pull from, right? Was, you know, and I pulled from my own camp experiences. I was never sent to a camp for, for troubled youth, but I was a troubled youth at a camp. Jesus <laughs> camp, a Bible camp. I grew up in a small town in North Carolina, so very conservative, uh, small town. And one summer, when I was around Dylan and Layton's age, I was sent to. I went with a friend to a Church of God camp, and I grew up Presbyterian. So, like, this was like completely different, and. They were in a tent circling in tongues. And I, I don't want to offend anyone one way or the other listening, but I um I, you know, as a 12, 13 year old kid, it freaked me out. Mm -hmm. And um just that feeling of being alone in this very unfamiliar place, uh, you know, that's has stayed with me. And I use that. And then less traumatic memories of just different camps, YMCA camps and just different activities that, that I had done, but through the lens of a, a camp for troubled youth. Oh, wow. Um, there's so much about this, you know, in, in terms of their friendship, there is, there's a lot more. Um, and it, it's interesting. I was sorry to, sorry to hear about your grade school friend, Jenny, but it is very interesting in, in terms of thinking about those, friendships during those formative years and how they affect us. Um, you know, I, I think from everyone I went to grade school with, I, I think I'm, I'm still actually friends with, with one person, but um, that was something I was thinking about reading through the reading through paper planes in terms of those, those things that we don't, you know, it's been, you know, decades now since I've been in grade school, um, you know, early high school but how those experiences that we don't often think about can kind of come up at the the strangest times and and affect us in you know the strangest ways we don't realize often how important those those friendships were to our you know formation even though at the time if we were able to go back and look at ourselves in the moment we'd realize like oh this was the most important thing in the world and it's not something i've thought about in years um what was that experience like after like you know hearing about someone you had gone to school with had passed and and then digging into this book and kind of like i don't know hashing out some of some of that and mining it for for the story for Leighton and Dylan um it was cathartic definitely because there were these memories of my grade school friend that I carried around and we tend to as adults um, and as teens and as kids, we tend to hold on to the negative stuff um, more than the positive stuff. Because this particular grade school friend, she and I were close. We had like our stand by me group. We had lots of great memories. But the things that stayed with me um, and kind of haunted me and then came up, you know, came roaring back after she passed away um, were the negative ones. And it a big component um, that I didn't mention is this all happened during the pandemic. And of course we were all stuck at home and our life had all, our lives had slowed down. And so I think her death hit me particularly hard because I wasn't, I didn't have all the daily distractions, right. Um, yeah, sure. Normal life. Um, 
But one memory uh, that that always stood out was on her I think ninth birthday, I wrecked her go kart. She had just been given this go kart, uh, my friend Melissa, and I flipped it. And I didn't I didn't damage it like Dylan does. Layton's in the book, but right. I got to write about, and it's a different context in the book and a different situation. And and Layton and Dylan's relationship is different than what I had with my friend Melissa. With Melissa, there wasn't a romantic component as as there is for Dil- with Dylan for Layton. Yeah. Book, but um, I can still hear just even this to this day, Melissa yelling at me about you know. Uh, flipping her go-kart. Another memory that I used is um, I grew up very, very working class. My parents didn't have a lot of money, but my mother um, scrounged money together to rent out the roller rink for my second grade birthday party. And she invited the entire second grade, even though I didn't want that. Um, (laughs) I didn't really want to be at this party. And I get there and Melissa's there and she's putting on her skates and she's like, I don't really want to be here. And I, that haunted me that like someone didn't want to be at my party, but also it was like, you know, hell yeah. Cause I don't want to be here either. And I got to write about that in paper planes. And honestly, since I've written about these and Dozer brought these scenes to life and in this fictional context, it's like, I can let them go. These things I've carried around for years. Um, that are, seem really small, but when I was in second grade, they weren't small. They were the end of the world yeah. um, and they stay with you. But, but I think this is an example of when writing can be cathartic and you can let things go. And, you know, I want to say that not all writing needs to be that some writing can just be pure entertainment, but this is one example of you can take these really negative things that you just hold on to and just clear them out. And turn them into fiction that, you know, can can be a, a point of solace for others, hopefully. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's I mean, that's true. And it, it's interesting to hear, you know, you say that and think about those things that um, maybe maybe you haven't thought about. Or may, may, I don't know. Maybe, maybe all those years they've they've plagued you in terms of the goat part incident. Um, I, I it, but I, I think you hearing you say that and think about some of the the things that we don't realize we hold on to, you know, as I said earlier, from all those, you know, uh, all those years ago, um, to be able to use them, you know, for the story to the way that makes sense. And they gives you some type of, you know, release when you see them visualized is kind of fascinating, but, and also I I think they're, they're used so well in the story. Um, that opening with flashback or the opening, you know, learning about Layton's party at the roller skating rink, it informs so much of Dylan and Layton's friendship. Like you kind of, you know, kind of get a lot about the two of them and it's a really good, you know, you, you see like, Oh, they're friends and this is what's going on. And oh, their families are different. And, you know, you, you see a lot of that, like in those scenes, um, uh, Dozer, I, I want to ask in terms of like tr- in terms of bringing some of these things to life. Were w- was there anything that was like particularly either complicated or on the other end like really fun for you to kind of like dig in and and illustrate? Um, I mean the the whole camp part. It's it's not something that's uh, very big in German culture. We don't have <laughs> summer camps here, <laughs> okay. or at least I haven't been to any. Um, so. <laughs> I I had to do a little research on that how how the uh the houses look like and everything. Okay. And um but once I got in it was just so much fun and I loved spending my childhood outside in the forest and they got a lot of outside activities. So that was a lot of fun to illustrate. Mm-hmm. Um and also uh the flashbacks and uh, playing around with with the styles and making it visible that uh, the the timeline changed a bit. Um, that was a lot of fun for me to uh, come up with uh, a style for that and uh, uh, figure out the colors and how to uh, separate it from the um, what's the word for it um, from like the main story. 
the main guess. story. Yeah, like the, yeah, the, I present, mean, the present, the present, the present. Uh, yeah, I mean the the it's a different color palette. You instantly know. I don't know. It's necessarily if muted is is the right word, but you instantly know that this is different. It's set apart. Um, and it, funny enough, like the the colors of the flashbacks kind of reminded me of um, like like. And we, like of a flashback, like thinking back on like summer days, you know, or thinking back, yeah. it had like this hue to it that, you know, um, almost like a golden memory. Like, you know, I, I, I don't know. It, it, I'm, I'm struggling to explain it cause I'm not an artist and I'm just a dumb, dumb that likes comics a lot, but, um, <laughs> I really, I, I thought it was so fitting. It really ha- reminded me of looking back on like a, yeah, like a, of a, a nice memory and it, it fit it, you instantly knew you were in a, you know, some when else. And um, yeah, I thought that made, I thought it worked well. I'm so glad that you explained it that way. Cause uh, <laughs> that, that's what we were aiming for. <laughs> like the, the old photographs and memories you see through like um, the, the, the uh, pink glasses with um, yeah. Th- those fond memories you have. Yeah. <laughs> And although I mean some of them weren't always fun for for Dylan and Layton, but they're they're formative. They were they they really, um, I mean it's just like a two hundred page graphic novel, uh, which might you know seem like a lot, depending on on your mileage uh, in terms of a or in terms of a YA one. But there's so much story here to tell, and uh, there's a real like economy in terms of the storytelling, both narratively and and visually i mean there isn't like a single wasted panel everything is you know necessary and i think does like multiple jobs in terms of moving the story forward showing the audience something telling us something about the characters i really love that aspect to it as well thank you so much for saying that and you know a huge part of that is is editing is is erica um just uh making sure each panel moves the story forward in each page and uh, working. Uh, and I've, I've said this elsewhere, but it, it bears repeating that working with her and, and with Dozer has been just a gift. It was just an amazing dream team and everyone at Mad Cave and Maverick. Um, Lauren Hype Susan, who uh, was the editor that Erica reported to, so the senior editor, and the feedback that she gave us, and um, uh, you know, and again, just watching Dozer, watching them bring the the characters and the story to life, and and how the flashbacks were handled, it was just again, the whole process was just a dream and a gift. All right, fellow cryptids, now seems like a good time for a break. I'm always looking for a way to display my comics, but unfortunately, I am not very handy or crafty, as it were. Luckily, I have come across Crafty Comics, and they have a way for you to display your comics, even uh, comic books that are already slabbed, if that's your kind of thing. I recently got a flex frame, which has customizable backings and interchangeable border colors. I was able to put in a frame a comic book. It's Batman Elmer Fudd, uh, number one, by Tom King and Lee Weeks. It's signed by both. It's one of my uh, favorite signed comics that I got at Baltimore Comic Con. And I was able to figure it all out. It looks great in the frame. And I can't wait to get it up on the wall. It was super easy. And I have a slew of comic books now. And uh, much to my wife's chagrin, I think I'm going to create a wall of some of my favorite signed comic books. Um, And Crafty Comics was super easy to use. And I like that you can have a different border color along the background to kind of go along with the theme of the cover art. And yeah, it was it's great. And uh, I absolutely love it. So check it out. It's Crafty Comics, C-R-A-F-T-I-C-O-M-I-C-S.com. Use the discount code YETI5 and get 5% off your order. And now, back to the Cryptid Creator Corner. Yeah, I mean, it seems like the a very, I mean, the, the team was great, a whole collaborative uh, effort. Um, um, I've met Micah Myers a, a handful of times, and he's an excellent um, letterer as well. Uh, 
Yes, uh, thank you for mentioning nice him. I feel like the the letter always gets forgotten, and then I I get off the podcast or the interview. And I'm like, hey, <laughs> yes, I, absolutely. I did I I did like a series of written interviews. I don't know the end of 21. I I guess where I interviewed and just did like a like a, the same. 10 or 12 questions or so and interviewed like 20 different letterers because I feel like letterers always get short shrift. So I've always, it also made me heightened to mention the letterer. Um, plus I had, I have a, a, I had a six page story in an anthology that Michael lettered. So I, I like Mike in particular as well. <laughs> yeah. You know, I have to admit that part of it is a, a fear that I'm going to, and this is so lame. I'm going to say Michael Myers because I'm a huge Halloween horror fan. Yeah. So like when I first started doing podcasts for this and I'm like, let me make sure I get all the Maverick Mad Cave staff right. I was like, yeah. I would do that. I actually haven't done it, but I think part of it is like, you know, this block that I'm going to slip. up. Right. I don't know if Michael would mind. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think he's a horror fan, um, but it, yeah, that's uh, that's funny. Um <laughs> Uh, one of the other, so now I, I, I mentioned this before we started recording, but I, I want to get to this part. There's a character in the story. I absolutely love, um, uh, the character of cricket who, uh, Dylan, I think Dylan, they, they first meet cricket at the camp. Um, and we kind of get to see as we, we learn about the inciting incident that led to Layton and Dylan at the camp, which I don't, I don't want to give away, uh, or, or really talk about because it's important i think how the story progresses and how you find out but um it's interesting to see w where dylan and layton are when they both arrive at the camp and when cricket comes into the picture another person there at the camp and um kind of first befriends dylan and uh cricket is wonderful and i want cricket to be real and uh, in their 40s and my friend because <laughs> um, uh, I could use a cricket. Um, it just was it an element uh, was cricket bait? I don't usually ask this, but was cricket based on anybody? And um, also, was it a, was it we need somebody in here to kind of not get between Dylan and Layton, but to kind of help bring out some of the story we're trying to tell? Um, I was just you know, curious about that. And then I definitely dozer want to know about like, you know, Crick, Crick, I love just cricket's whole thing. Like whatever they had going on. Absolutely loved it in terms of that, the look of that character. I just want to hear all about cricket. Now, now this is cricket talk on the cryptid creator corner. <laughs> He's a character everyone loves. And I just, you're a great interviewer because I just told you, I can't believe I told you my, my Michael Myers, Michael Myers anxiety. And now I'm about to tell you something about cricket that I haven't told anyone else. Um, and cricket is based on a real person and believe it or not, she is in her forties mother of three, and I will introduce you to at, at some point. And the reason she's based on a real person is she, so cricket was not, um, in my original outline or, or bios. Uh, so she was not in the original plan and oh, wow. the uh, mad cave brain trust uh, came back to Erica and I, and, and they were like, we need a, a new, a third character, a third kind of not major character, not that you've got the two main characters, but they needed someone else to bring in some levity. And so right away, that tells me I get to have fun with this character but I also needed to work fast um, to kind of bring her into the mix because we were just about to start scripting. And I remember it was a Thursday night and I was tired. Um, and I came up with the name Cricket because I love that name too. And it, it's fun. Yeah. Um, and my a friend, my friend who is the right amount of bossy and, and has no edit butted in the right way. And he's just... Um, will tell you like it is and, you know, has her mind in, on the right priorities in terms of the environment and stuff. She popped into my head and the character and her just like merged. And that Thursday night at like 10 p.m., I just, Cricket was born. And I think because it, there, I didn't have time to think. Like, so Cricket's not overbaked or overthought. And she also just kind of slides right into the story. And she's created to to bring 
fun and love to the story. And, and yeah. so I think it was all the right, uh, it was just the right setup. And it was, again, it was just, you know, you hear songwriters talk about like, you know, a song everyone loves and how it just poured out of them in four minutes. I'm not comparing myself to great songwriters, but like cricket just like was meant to be. And I just had to get out of the way and just let her be born. So Dozer, you know, took the ball and, and created this great character design and I'll let them talk about that. Yeah, please, please do Dozer. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, with cricket being the, the fun character and she has such an, attitude and and doesn't care about rules and i really i i also wanted her to be my friend <laughs> when i first <laughs> read about her and um yeah i was very happy to to design a, a big character and she's she's not ashamed of her size it's just it's her 100 percent, and she jumps on tables and shouts and and um gives contra to the the uh, people at camp that tell her to just do her um do the activities quietly and she's like no no i won't <laughs> and uh yeah she's a rebel she's 100 percent rebel and i had so much fun uh designing her uh her hairstyle that um she got the the blonde tips and the the shaved sides um kind of also brought me back to uh, thinking of my time in middle school where I hung around with a lot of punk and, and uh, like goth people. So yeah, that um, I think that was kind of an influence for her style okay. and for uh, how she's acting and, and moving throughout the story. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, Love her attitude. Like I said, I just love her look. Um, you mentioned in terms of like the the size of the character compared to the other characters, but it's it's never anything that ever is comes up or is you know no no nobody would dare say anything like that to Cricket. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's she- great. And Jojo, you touched on this. We touched on this in a in 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 any other interview. Is that Cricket is the one who's comfortable in her own skin, like. Uh, Dylan is not, Layton is not, and and I think that's so great. And you, yeah. you drew her that way. Yeah, I um also I the other thing I, I liked about her in terms of working as like a narrative device with the characters to kind of get to certain areas and find out more about what's going on with with Dylan, what their journey is, and w- what are they comfortable with, and um navigating a bit of what has happened and the relationship now at camp between Dylan and Layton. Um, but also uh, cricket um, is I'm trying to figure out like the, the, the best way to, to put it with, with um, there are some car- people that you meet when you're younger who just seem, you know, they might call them like an old soul or they seem like an adult or they seem like more mature for their age, like whatever it might be. Like Cricket has like that quality to her where, yeah, she's at this camp for a reason and you find out why she's at the camp and it's hilarious. <laughs> and, um, um, but also she, she because she is so comfortable with who she is and she like knows that and she seems like somebody that she's done some things, maybe she, you know, shouldn't suppose shouldn't have done based upon laws and whatnot, but she clearly is supported at home probably in a way that maybe Dylan or Layton are not um, because I don't think you can have somebody that comfortable with themselves and not have some type of support system. If it isn't at home, it's at school or it's somewhere in the community where she feels comfortable just being cricket. And it comes across as like that kid or that teenager that is a little bit of, of an adult, but only because they are, you know, they, they are comfortable with being who they are and they have a, a certain maturity about certain things. And yeah, I mean, I felt like, yeah, everybody needs a cricket. That's the. <laughs> yes, we all do. And yeah, you, you nailed it there and why she is the way she is. And 
you know, when I do those character sketches, I go into details with the par- about the parents too. And she is the one who has the most supportive parents and, you know, it, it shows, I think. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I really, r- really, really love this story. Um, and, uh, yeah, I hope everybody goes and, and picks it up because it's, it's, it's just great. It's, it's wonderful. It's so much more than, than about friendship, you know, in terms of the identity of, um, both, both Leighton and Dylan and talking about those types of things, um, you know, uh, as they kind of discover who they are and figure out how they're going to talk about it or if they're going to talk about it, if they're going to be accepted, all of that is in this, you know, story too. Was that an important thing for the two of you in terms of showing a non-binary character or an asexual character, just characters with different identities so that, you know, if there's a tween or teenager that similar, like late grade school, early high school picks up the book and says, oh, hey, look, here's a character in a book who, you know, maybe doesn't look like me, but there's certainly some aspect that I haven't seen in a book before, like being represented. I mean, I, I think representation is hugely important. I, I try to talk about it when I can on the, the podcast, when I have stories like that, that, you know, and um, it's just, I'm sure that was an element for both of you that was important to the story as well. Absolutely. And thanks for mentioning that and, and, and bringing that up. So when I started working on the script for this and the characters for this, I was actually coming out as non-binary myself. So um, it was really important for me to, to, to be able to write a non-binary character. And it was also, again, a gift to do so. And I was just getting used to it myself, just the pronouns and the, the way of thinking, because, um, you know, again, I grew up in a small town in North Carolina and the terms non-binary and, and cisgender were foreign to me. Um, even when I got to college and I came out of, as a lesbian, that didn't feel like the right fit, but it was the most right fit I had. And okay. it was really comic conventions that introduced me uh, to uh the terms non-binary cisgender. I was on a panel and I, a moderator asked me what my pronoun, preferred pronouns were. And that was the first, it was a whole new world to me. Um, so it was comics that led to my uh, realizing I'm non-binary, led to my identity, my, my finding my true identity. And so to be able to give that back and, and to write a non-binary character while I'm coming out as non-binary was, was amazing. And then um, writing a character who's asexual, that's again, giving, um, another, uh, marginalized group, someone to see themselves in, and that's hugely important. And in all the characters that Dozer designed for the camp, we tried to, to we tried to do that in, in as many ways as we could without it feeling forced, right? You want it to be natural, um, because I think readers can feel when something's forced. Um, and, and the, one of the great things that Dozer did was to not, it didn't feel forced. All the characters felt authentic and, and real. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, um, I, I think especially teenagers can tell if something is forced and yes. if they're being like preached to rather than letting, you know, the story develop. And, um, as later on in the, in the, the graphic novel, as Leighton kind of explains, um, like their feelings, I I think it uh very 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 succinct and understandable way to kind of get across like that information, um, and yeah, I thought that was beautifully represented. I know Dozer, did, I don't want to like cut you. Wasn't going to cut you off if you were going to say something or if you wanted to add anything about that. Oh yeah, I just I felt very connected to to both Dylan and to to Leighton. Um, and I think that helped me a lot with, um, bringing across the, the emotion. I mean, there's not that much action in the comic, so it's all, um, it's all in their faces and how they react to situations and, and, um, conversation, uh, conversations they're having. And, um, yeah, I just, I, I, could feel what what they felt and i mean jenny's script is, is it's just excellent <laughs> you really um yeah it, it feels so real 
not like someone's imagining how uh, a non-binary person feels or how an asexual person feels because it, it's just yeah they felt real to me and i hope that for other readers the characters feel like that too and um yeah just designing them like everyday people was uh very very important to me to yeah not have the the farce thing <laughs> you mentioned <laughs> um well dozer i wanted to ask just in terms of like how did you find your way to comics you know when you first started getting uh being artistic and and drawing and and doing all those things like how did you make your way to comics specifically um i've been drawing pretty much all my life and um then when i studied um i wanted to go into the uh illustration kind of branch but ended up doing uh animated films and um i thought that after i was done i i'd work in the animation business but then uh through friends of friends i got to work for uh lumberjanes from boom studios oh, okay uh, which is yeah. also the summer camp setting <laughs> <laughs> you honed your summer camp skills on lumberjanes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um and uh, that was really my first comic experience. I haven't really done comics before that and was thinking, okay, I can try. Um, what could go wrong? And uh, <laughs> since then, I think it was in 2018 or 19. And yeah, I've been drawing comics everything, ever since then. <laughs> um, well, so Jenny, how about you in terms of you know, your journey as a writer, what led you from a, a small town in North Carolina to comic conventions and, and now writing comics? So um, I got a scholarship to go to a theater conservatory in Chicago and study playwriting. Um, and so I did that and kind of rediscovered along the way um, my love of comics. I loved comics as a kid. They kind of just helped me get through a bad domestic situation with my parents that my parents were always fighting. So I kind of turned to the Hulk comics, right? Um, Cause I remember having to get enraged to get my parents to stop fighting. Like I'd have to be angrier than them. And so I saw myself in the Hulk. Like I, I, right. I wow. found um, solace there. I found myself in, I saw myself in comics. Um, it, you know, it, it wasn't, it's it's not as direct as you know opening up uh, paper planes and seeing you know how Dozer drew Dylan and and seeing myself in those pages, but it's still there. I mean, we see ourselves in superheroes. That's why we love superheroes. We want to be those superheroes on some level, some sometimes. Yeah. Um. And so uh, post college, I'm trying to figure out what I'm doing. I'm in a rock band. I'm so I'm writing songs, but I missed. Um just that sitting by myself and writing. Um, and I missed the, the collaboration that I had with actors at the theater school, but I also got burnt out on, on theater, on trying to start a theater company and mount a show and all of that. And around the same time, I just fell back in love with comics. I found my way back. Um, uh, Graphic novels were a big part of that. Why the Last Man, Fun Home, Craig Thompson's Blankets, all three very different graphic novels, but I picked them up at the same time. And I was like, this is amazing. I, I want to, to write these stories, these types of stories. Um, and I had, I had an idea for a story. It was about a girl who shapeshifts into a boy to get her dream girl because her dream girl is straight. And I was trying to write that um, it didn't work as a play. It, it couldn't, I couldn't get my brain around the bad special effects of shape-shifting in a screenplay or would the same actor play the girl shape-shifting to the boy. Um, and I was obsessed with Brian K. Vaughn's Why the Last Man. And it's this huge epic story, but it's very grounded in great characters. And I'm like, I'm going to do this story of mine about the girl who shape-shifts into a boy as a graphic novel. 
And that became Flutter, which is my graphic novel series uh, with artist Jeff McComsey that was collected and released by Dark Horse. And that led me to comic conventions, just promoting that because we would release, it was a series, so we would release each volume and I'd take it to San Diego and New York, Comic-Con and all over the country and, and just met a ton of people. And that led to doing anthologies and other comics and, and then long, long way down the road led me to Maverick and Mad Cave and Paper Planes. Oh, wow. Um, I just, I, I, one of the reasons when Byron started this podcast, I, I wanted to, I wanted in on it. Cause I just like hearing how folks kind of, um, I mean, people listen to the podcast, so I guess others find it interesting too, but I'm always curious as to how, you know, uh, someone got from, you know, where they are to even try a creative endeavor. Cause we all like movies and TV and yeah. plays and comics books, you know, but I think it's another thing to take that leap and want to create. And I just, I love hearing that kind of journey. Um, uh, Jenny, one thing you said in terms of like the, the character Bible or that, that you create and a character's favorite t-shirt or what this might be. And I always love looking to see what an artist will like populate in someone's room or something along those lines and whether or not that came from the writer, if the artist, you know, wanted to add a little flourish and, I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Jenny behind you as a very large Heather's poster. I know the listeners can't see it, but um, I wanted to point it out uh, because uh, I, I, I've always liked the, the Heather's. Um, I, I, I'm surprised how much I like it as a musical, if you're familiar with Heather's the musical. Yes, I, I saw it uh, off Broadway in New York. Uh, went to New York, met a friend there to see it. Um, my, I mentioned I was in a band. Um, my band's name was Heather's Damage. We were Chicago uh, three-piece indie rock band. Um, so Heather's is a huge, it's probably still my favorite movie. Um, it wouldn't get made today, that's for sure. Um, yeah. But uh, I love dark comedy. I think dark comedy is one of the hardest things to write. Yeah. Um, and uh you know, I mean, Paper Planes has some dark elements to it, but but Heather's is a, is a whole different brand of of dark, and uh, yeah, I still love it today. Yeah, I um, yeah, I'm a big fan of the movie, and um, was surprised when I heard that someone was doing the musical. I guess not too surprised. There's a lot of different musicals based off of of different things, but um, yeah, I I try and I. I was talking with me another inter someone else I was interviewing about the connection between comics and, and musicals. But, um, and so I, whenever I guess I get a chance, I like to bring up <laughs> musicals too, but the yeah. song, if anyone here listening, if any of the listeners have not checked out, uh, Heather's the musical, our, our love is God is such a disturbing, but amazingly written song. And it's like, yeah, that's a, that's in a Broadway musical. <laughs> yeah. Um, Sorry for this digression, but I just, uh, you know, wanted to point it out and I was just curious about it. Um, well, I, I mean, I, I just, I, I thank you both, you know, so much for being here and talking about this and for creating, you know, along with your other collaborators, Paper Planes. I just, I really loved it. I'm, um, I mean, is there anything else that you would want the listeners, you know, to know about, about Paper Planes? Just that, you know, it was created with um, with a lot of love. I know that sounds cheesy to say, but it's true. And with the hope that readers find some find themselves in it or, or someone someone they know and, and find some solace and, and joy and and uh, just um, hopefully a little entertainment as well in it. Dozer, how about any anything else from you? Oh, yeah, I just hope, same as Jenny said, that <laughs> people will pick it up and love it and um, can relate to the characters. Yeah, well, I, th I think they are, they are very relatable. They, they do all feel very authentic, which um, I think folks, when they get into it, will really be able to see and, uh, and appreciate. And um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, in terms of being YA, if there's any, you know, uh, if that I, I that shouldn't scare off like adults or older readers. It is really a, a wonderful story. Um, and I know a few folks that I one in particular, um, a friend of mine and their daughter who 
uh, we'll definitely be getting a copy of uh, of Paper Planes because uh, I think they'll they're going to see themselves in it, and I think that's hugely important. And um, yeah, so I really loved it. And um, is it out? I, I think it'll be out by the time this podcast episode is, uh, releases. It's July nineteenth. It's actually been delayed. It's coming out August twenty second. Oh, okay, August twenty second. So I think by the time this episode comes out, you'll you can either pre order it or this episode will. If you're listening to it right when it comes out, you'll probably have a, a a week or so, and then you'll be able to get your copy of Paper Plane. So let your local comic shop or go on the Mad Cave website and make sure you get a copy. Um, it really is a wonderful story. I can't I can't say that enough. Um, but Jenny and Dozer, thank you very much for for joining me on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thank you. It was so great to talk to you about Paper Plane. Um, all right, and listeners, uh, please rate, review, subscribe if you haven't subscribed yet, if you've just found your way to this podcast by some other reason, and say nice things about us on whichever of the 50 different social media sites flo- folks are fleeing Twitter and migrating towards. Um, but yeah, I really <laughs> appreciate you listening. Uh, shout out to my brother, Bobby, the, co- the Crypto Creator Corner's number one most de- dedicated listener. Thanks for listening, Bobby. And um, <laughs> I will see you next time. Bye, everybody. This is Byron O'Neill, one of your hosts of the Cryptid Creator Corner, brought to you by Comic Book Yeti. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of our podcast. Please rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. It lets us know how we're doing, and more importantly, how we can improve. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of the Cryptid Creator Corner, maybe you would enjoy our sister podcast, Into the Comics Cave. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment, action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one. All you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the Department of Metahuman Affairs or DMA and check it out right now. 